Environment Today is a podcast about the current state of our planet's environment and ways to contribute to the health and prosperity of our ecosystem. Content presented by Amy and James Sharp. I'm James Sharp. And I'm Amy Sharp. All information being discussed today is from the report IPCC 2019 Summary for Policymakers on Climate Change and Land, an IPCC Special Report on Climate Change, Desertification, Land Degradation, Sustainable Land Management, Food Security, and Greenhouse Gas Fluxes in Terrestrial Ecosystems. Environment Today's podcast will bring this and other current scientific reports on our environment to you every two weeks, putting these details into layman's terms as much as possible. You will receive a great deal more information than you would hear or read in short blurbs of daily news briefings. We want to bring you all the key facts in detail and then provide real-life solutions that you can implement after hearing the facts of each report. This summary for policymakers is structured in four parts and will be included in this and the following three podcasts. Last time, we covered Part A, People and Climate in a Warming World. Today, we will cover Part B, Adaptation and Mitigation Response Options, which leaves Part C, Enabling Response Options, and D, Action in the Near Term, to be covered in future podcasts. Part B, Adaptation and Mitigation Response Options. Many land-related responses that contribute to climate change adaptation and mitigation solutions can also combat desertification and land degradation and enhance food security. The potential for land-related responses and the relative emphasis on adaptation and mitigation solutions is context-specific including the adaptive capacities of communities and regions. While land-related response options can make important contributions to adaptation and mitigation resolutions, there are some barriers to adaptation and limits to their contribution to global mitigation. Some land-related actions are already being taken that positively contribute to climate change adaptation, mitigation, and sustainable development. The response options include, but are not limited to, sustainable food production, improved and sustainable forest management, soil organic carbon management, ecosystem conservation, and land restoration, reduced deforestation and degradation, and reduced food loss and waste. These response options require integration of biophysical, socioeconomic, and other enabling factors. Let's expand on some of the terms for this section, such as agroforestry, agroecosystems, and peatlands. Agroforestry is a collective name for land use systems and technologies where woody perennials, trees, shrubs, palms, bamboos, etc., are deliberately used on the same land management units as agricultural crops and or animals in some form of spatial arrangement or temporal sequence. 
Agroecosystems are characterized by both planned and unplanned diversity. Planned diversity includes the spatial and temporal arrangement of domesticated plants and animals that farmers purposely include in the system, along with beneficial organisms that are deliberately added. Unplanned diversity includes weedy plants, herbivores, predators, microbes, and other organisms that persist in the system after it has been converted to agriculture or colonize it from the surrounding landscape. Both types of diversity have strong effects on agroecosystem productivity, stability, pest regulation, soil processes, and the movement of organisms between agriculture and natural habitats in the agricultural landscape. Peatlands are a type of wetlands that occur in almost every country on Earth, currently covering 3% of the global land surface. The term peatland refers to the peat soil and the wetland habitat growing on its surface. While some response options have immediate impacts, others take decades to deliver measurable results. Examples of response options with immediate impacts include the conservation of high-carbon ecosystems, such as peatlands, wetlands, rangelands, mangroves, and forests. Examples that take more time to deliver include afforestation and reforestation, as well as the restoration of high-carbon ecosystems, agroforestry, and the reclamation of degraded soils. The successful implementation of response options depends on consideration of local environmental and socioeconomic conditions. Some options, such as soil carbon management, are potentially applicable across a broad range of land use types, whereas the efficacy of land management practices relating to organic soils, peatlands, and wetlands, and those linked to freshwater resources, depends on specific agroecological conditions. Given the site-specific nature of climate change impacts on food system components and wide variations in agroecosystems, adaptation and mitigation options and their barriers are linked to environmental and cultural context at regional and local levels. Achieving land degradation neutrality depends on the integration of multiple responses across local, regional, and national scales, and across multiple sectors, including agriculture, pasture, forest, and water. Land-based options that deliver carbon sequestration in soil or vegetation, such as afforestation, reforestation, agroforestry, soil carbon management on mineral soils, or carbon storage, in harvested wood products, do not continue to sequester carbon indefinitely. Peatlands, however, can continue to sequester carbon for centuries. When vegetation matures, or when vegetation and soil carbon reservoirs reach saturation, the annual removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere declines toward zero, while carbon stocks can be maintained. However, accumulated carbon in vegetation and soils is at risk from future loss 
triggered by disturbances such as flood, drought, fire, or pest outbreaks, or future poor management. Most of the response options assessed contribute positively to sustainable development and other societal goals. Many response options can be applied without competing for land and have the potential to provide multiple benefits. A further set of response options has the potential to reduce demand for land, thereby enhancing the potential for other response options to deliver across each of climate change adaptation and mitigation, combating desertification and land degradation, and enhancing food security. A number of land management options, such as improved management of cropland and grazing lands, improved and sustainable forest management, and increased soil organic carbon content, do not require land use change and do not create demand for more land conversion. Further, a number of response options, such as increased food productivity, dietary choices and food losses, and waste reduction can reduce demand for land conversion, thereby potentially freeing land and creating opportunities for enhanced implementation of other responses. Response options that reduce competition for land are possible and are applicable at different scales from farm to regional. A wide range of adaptation and mitigation responses exist that can be implemented. These include preserving and restoring natural ecosystems, such as peatland, coastal lands and forests, biodiversity conservation, reducing competition for land, fire management, and soil management. Most risk management options, such as the use of local seeds, disaster risk management, and project loans have the potential to make positive contributions to sustainable development, enhancement of ecosystem functions and services, and other societal goals. Ecosystem-based adaptation can, in some contexts, promote nature conservation while alleviating poverty and can even provide benefits by removing greenhouse gases and protecting livelihoods. Most of the land management-based response options that do not increase competition for land and almost all options based on value chain management and risk management can contribute to eradicating poverty and eliminating hunger while promoting good health and well-being, clean water and sanitation, climate action, and life on land. What is value chain management? Things like dietary choices such as reducing meat consumption, reduced post-harvest losses, and reduced food waste are all examples of value chain management. Although most response options can be applied without competing for available land, some can increase demand for land conversion. If responses are applied at scales necessary to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, 
at the level of several gigatons of carbon dioxide per year, afforestation, reforestation, and the use of land to provide feedstock for bioenergy with or without carbon capture and storage, or for biochar, could greatly increase demand for land conversion. Integration into sustainably managed landscapes at appropriate scale can improve adverse impacts. Reduced grassland conversions to croplands, restoration and reduced conversion of peatlands, and restoration and reduced conversion of coastal wetlands affect smaller land areas globally. And the impacts on land use change of these options are smaller or more variable. What is bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, BECCS? Bioenergy with carbon capture and storage is the process of extracting bioenergy from biomass and capturing and storing the carbon, thereby removing it from the atmosphere. The carbon in the biomass comes from the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide, which is extracted from the atmosphere when the biomass grows. While land can make a valuable contribution to climate change mitigation, there are limits to the deployment of land-based mitigation measures, such as bioenergy crops or afforestation. Widespread use at the scale of several millions of square kilometers globally could increase risks for desertification, land degradation, food security, and sustainable development. Applied on a limited share of total land, land-based mitigation measures that displace other land uses have fewer adverse side effects and can have positive benefits for adaptation, desertification, land degradation, or food security. The production and use of biomass for bioenergy can have benefits, adverse side effects, and risks for land degradation, food insecurity, greenhouse gas emissions, and other environmental and sustainable development goals. These impacts are context-specific and depend on the scale of deployment, initial land use, land type, bioenergy feedstock, initial carbon stocks, climatic region, and management regime. The use of residues and organic waste as bioenergy feedstock can mitigate land use change pressures associated with bioenergy deployment, but residues are limited and the removal of residues that would otherwise be left on the soil could lead to soil degradation. What can we do to combat desertification of lands? Many activities for combating desertification can contribute to climate change benefits, as well as to halting biodiversity loss with sustainable development benefits to society. Avoiding, reducing, and reversing desertification would enhance soil fertility, increase carbon storage in soils and biomass, while benefiting agricultural productivity and food security. Preventing desertification is preferable to attempting to restore degraded land due to the potential for residual risks 
and maladaptive outcomes. Solutions that help adapt to and mitigate climate change while contributing to combating desertification include water harvesting methods, micro or drip irrigation, and restoring degraded lands using drought-resistant, ecologically appropriate plants, agroforestry, and other agroecological and ecosystem-based adaptation practices. Reducing dust and sandstorms and sand dune movement can lessen the negative effects of wind erosion and improve air quality and health. Depending on water availability and soil conditions, afforestation, tree planting, and ecosystem restoration programs, which aim for the creation of windbreaks in the form of green walls and green dams, using native and other climate-resilient tree species with low water needs, can reduce sandstorms, avert wind erosion, and contribute to carbon sinks while improving microclimates, soil nutrients, and water retention. Measures to combat desertification can promote soil carbon sequestration. Natural vegetation restoration and tree planting on degraded land enriches in the long-term carbon in the topsoil and subsoil. If soil carbon is lost, it may take a prolonged period of time for carbon stocks to recover. Eradicating poverty and ensuring food security can benefit from applying measures promoting land degradation neutrality, including avoiding, reducing, and reversing land degradation in rangelands, croplands, and forests, which contribute to combating desertification while mitigating and adapting to climate change within the framework of sustainable development. Such measures include avoiding deforestation and local practices including management of rangeland and forest fires. Currently, there is a lack of knowledge of adaptation limits and barriers. Even when solutions are available, social, economic, and institutional constraints could pose barriers to their implementation. Some adaptation options can become maladaptive due to their environmental impacts, such as irrigation causing soil salinization or over-extraction of groundwater, leading to groundwater depletion and aquifer compaction. Extreme forms of desertification can lead to the complete loss of land productivity, limiting adaptation options for the present or future of the land. Developing Enabling and promoting access to cleaner energy sources and technologies can contribute to adaptation and mitigating climate change and combating desertification and forest degradation through decreasing the use of traditional biomass for energy while increasing the diversity of energy supply. This can have socioeconomic and health benefits, especially for women and children. The efficiency of wind and solar energy infrastructures is recognized. The efficiency can be affected in some regions by dust and sandstorms.
What changes need to happen to our land to protect our food systems? Response options throughout the food system, from production to consumption, including food loss and waste, can be deployed and scaled up to advance adaptation and mitigation solutions. Sustainable land management, including sustainable forest management, can prevent and reduce land degradation, maintain land productivity, and sometimes reverse the adverse impacts of climate change on land degradation. Reducing and reversing land degradation at scales from individual farms to entire watersheds can provide cost-effective, immediate, and long-term benefits to communities and support several sustainable development goals. Land degradation in agriculture systems can be addressed through sustainable land management with an ecological and socioeconomic focus, with benefits for climate change adaptation. Management options that reduce vulnerability to soil erosion and nutrient loss include growing green manure crops and cover crops, crop residue retention, reduced or zero tillage, and maintenance of ground cover through improved grazing management. Farming systems such as agroforestry, perennial pasture phases, and using of perennial grains can substantially reduce erosion and nutrient leaching while building soil carbon. The application of certain biochars can sequester carbon and improve soil conditions in some soil types and climates. Reducing deforestation and forest degradation lowers greenhouse gas emissions. By providing long-term livelihoods for communities, sustainable forest management can reduce the extent of forest conversion to non-forest uses, such as for cropland or settlements. Sustainable forest management aimed at providing timber, fiber, biomass, non-timber resources, and other ecosystem functions and services can lower greenhouse gas emissions and can contribute to adaptation. Sustainable forest management can maintain or enhance forest carbon stocks and can maintain forest carbon sinks, including by transferring carbon to wood products, thus addressing the issue of sink saturation where wood carbon is transferred to harvested wood products, these can store carbon over the long term and can substitute for emission-intensive materials, reducing emissions in other sectors. Where biomass is used for energy, for example as a mitigation strategy, the carbon is released back into the atmosphere more quickly. Climate change can lead to land degradation, even with the implementation of measures intended to avoid, reduce, or reverse land degradation. In some situations, exceeding the limits of adaptation can trigger escalating losses or result in undesirable transformational changes, such as forced migration, conflicts, or poverty. Examples of climate change-induced land degradation that may exceed efforts at adaptation include coastal erosion exacerbated by sea level rise 
where land disappears. Thawing of permafrost, affecting infrastructure and livelihoods. And extreme soil erosion, causing loss of productive capacity. Practices that contribute to climate change adaptation and mitigation in cropland include increasing soil organic matter, erosion control, improved fertilizer management, improved crop management, for example, paddy rice management, and use of varieties and genetic improvements for heat and drought tolerance. For livestock, options include better grazing land management, improved manure management, higher quality feed, and use of breeds and genetic improvement. Different farming and pastoral systems can achieve reductions in the emissions intensity of livestock products. Depending on the farming and pastoral systems and level of development, reductions in the emissions intensity of livestock products may lead to absolute reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. Many livestock-related options can enhance the adaptive capacity of rural communities, in particular of smallholders and pastoralists. Significant synergies exist between adaptation and mitigation, for example, through sustainable land management approaches. Diversification in the food system, for example, implementation of integrated production systems, broad-based genetic resources, and diets can reduce risks from climate change. Balanced diets featuring plant-based foods, such as those based on coarse grains, legumes, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and animal-sourced food produced in resilient, sustainable, and low greenhouse gas emission systems, present major opportunities for adaptation and mitigation while generating significant benefits in terms of human health. Transitions towards low greenhouse gas emission diets may be influenced by local production practices, technical and financial barriers, and associated livelihoods and cultural habits. Reduction of food loss and waste can lower greenhouse gas emissions and contribute to adaptation through reduction in the land area needed for food production. During 2010 to 2016, global food loss and waste contributed 8 to 10% of total human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. Currently, 25 to 30% of total food produced is lost or wasted. Technical options such as improved harvesting techniques, on-farm storage, infrastructure, transport, packaging, retail, and education can reduce food loss and waste across the supply chain. Causes of food loss and waste differ substantially between developed and developing countries, as well as between regions. By 2050, Reduced food loss and waste can free several million square miles of land. Future land use depends in part on the desired climate outcome and the portfolio of response options deployed. All assessed modeled potential pathways that limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius or well below 2 degrees Celsius 
require land-based mitigation and land use change, with most including different combinations of reforestation, afforestation, reduced deforestation, and bioenergy. A small number of modeled pathways achieve 1.5 degrees Celsius with reduced land conversion and thus reduced consequences for desertification, land degradation, and food security. Modeled pathways that reach our goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius and 2 degrees Celsius project a 2 million square kilometer reduction to a 12 million square kilometer increase in forest area in 2050 relative to 2010. The much warmer scenario of 3 degrees Celsius pathways project lower forest areas ranging from 4 million square kilometers reduction to a 6 million square kilometer increase. The land area needed for bioenergy and modeled pathways varies significantly depending on the socioeconomic pathway, the warming level, and the feedstock and production system used. Modeled pathways limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius use up to 7 million square kilometers for bioenergy in 2050. The bioenergy land area is smaller in a warmer 2 degrees Celsius and the much warmer 3 degrees Celsius pathways. Pathways with large levels of land conversion may induce severe and adverse side effects, impacting water scarcity, biodiversity, land degradation, desertification, and food security, if not adequately and carefully managed whereas best practice implementation at appropriate scales can have benefits, such as management of dry land salinity, enhanced biocontrol and biodiversity, and enhancing soil carbon sequestration. Most mitigation pathways include substantial deployment of bioenergy technologies. There are only a small number of modeled pathways that successfully limit warming to the goal of 1.5 degrees Celsius in scenarios where there is a reduced dependence on bioenergy and other carbon dioxide removal options. When looking at these pathways that have reduced chances of success, these pathways have even more reliance on rapid and far reaching transitions in energy land, urban systems, and infrastructure, and on behavioral and lifestyle changes compared to the other 1.5 degrees Celsius pathways. Other modeled pathways can change the projected need for bioenergy and carbon dioxide removal. The best forms of mitigation, adaptation, and improving food security with our land includes these important practices reduced deforestation and forest degradation, along with afforestation, reforestation, and forest restoration. Increased soil organic carbon content by improving physical, chemical, and biological properties of the soil. Reduced post-harvest losses 
by avoiding the entry of insects and rodents and maintaining the environmental conditions that avoid growth of microorganisms. Dietary changes such as shifting to plant-based diets. Reduced food waste by consumer and retailer by keeping track of use-by dates, buying less, and planning more. Bioenergy with carbon capture and storage. Biochar addition to soil to improve crop yields by absorbing and retaining diverse nutrients. Increased food productivity through improved crop breeding, improved soil and water management, as well as other methods. Agroforestry. Improved cropland management. Improved livestock management. Agricultural diversification. Improving grazing land management. Integrated water management. Reduced grassland conversion to cropland. Forest management. Reduced soil erosion. Reduced soil salinization. Reduced soil compaction. Fire management. Reduced landslides and natural hazards. Reduced pollution, including acidification. Restoration and reduced conversion of coastal wetlands. Restoration and reduced conversion of peatlands. Sustainable sourcing. Improved food processing and retailing. Improved energy use in food systems. Livelihood diversification. Management of urban sprawl. Risk-sharing instruments like project loans. By making these changes starting today, we can all reap the benefits for this and future generations. Does climate change affect the transmission of COVID-19? What else can I do at home during the pandemic that will allow me to make a difference? According to the Harvard Chan School of Public Health, we don't have direct evidence that climate change is influencing the spread of COVID-19, but we do know that climate change alters how we relate to other species on Earth, and that matters to our health and our risk for infections. As the planet heats up, animals big and small, on land and in sea, are headed to the poles to get out of the heat. That means animals are coming into contact with other animals they normally wouldn't, and that creates an opportunity for pathogens to get into new hosts. Many of the root causes of climate change also increase the risk of pandemics. Deforestation, which occurs mostly for agricultural purposes, is the largest cause of habitat loss worldwide. Loss of habitat forces animals to migrate and potentially contact other animals or people and share germs. Large livestock farms can also serve as a source for spillover of infections from animals to people. Less demand for animal meat and more sustainable animal husbandry could decrease emerging infectious disease risk and lower greenhouse gas emissions. 
your climate action to improve your health and reducing risks for infectious disease emergence could be to start your own garden at home. If you have room in your yard for a garden, visit your local garden center to see what fruits and vegetables grow best in your soil and region. They can also provide tips on how to fortify and build up your soil for the best yield. If you don't have a yard, consider container gardens, hydroponic gardens, and also indoor gardens. Visit websites like foodrevolution.org or miraclegrow.com or watch the many YouTube videos that show exactly how to create your own setup. By gardening at home, you reduce your carbon footprint by reducing the amounts of fruits and vegetables that you need to buy at the store, which reduces the need for agricultural expansion. You can ensure healthy soil, which means higher levels of nutrients in your plants, and remove the use of harmful chemicals like glyphosate from the foods you're ingesting by growing organically. Try your home garden today and see what a difference you can make for our environment. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of Environment Today, where we continued our discussion of climate change and land. Please join us next time, where we discuss Part C of this special report, Enabling Response Options. Please join us then to learn more about the environment today.